Good morning, church. Please turn your Bibles to 1 John and chapter 4, if you will. 1 John and chapter 4. I want you to think about your favorite songs, or maybe your favorite movie, or maybe your favorite television series. And as you're thinking about that, I want you to consider how the theme or the topic of love is involved in those storylines. Involved in those lyrics. Involved in the drama. See, nearly in every genre of music, the topic of love is prevalent. Love is a dominant theme in stories, in families, in movies, in TV shows, and in life. And it makes sense. It makes sense because love is a universal need. Love is a universal desire. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to love someone else. Now, the theme of love is woven throughout all of John's writings, frankly, but specifically, we see it dominance in 1 John chapters 2 through 4. The call to love is clear. For the follower of Christ, love is not optional, love is an obligation. In fact, love gives evidence of one's saving faith. And the lack of love gives evidence of spiritual death. However, as followers of Jesus Christ, too often our love is misdirected. Frankly, it's self-directed. So we desperately need God's Spirit to help us, to give us strength, to energize us, to, to lead us and to teach us how we might give up of ourselves And love others. The truth is, if God did not love us, then we would not know what love is. We would not love God. And we would not love others. Certainly not the way that uh, we're called to love others in the New Testament. Now this morning, we're going to see the priority of God's love under three different headings. And then we're going to end with some application. So would you stand, please? We're going to read 1 John Chapter 4, we're going to read verses 7 through 21. 7 through the end of the chapter. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that we have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Will you pray with me? Great God in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you that you have loved us. When we were far away, when we did not love you, you loved us. And we pray this morning that you would work in our lives. We pray this morning that through the teaching of your word that we would hear from you and that we would be changed, Father. That your spirit would do great work in us to revive us, to renew us, to regenerate us. God, we need you. As we've sung for your coming and praised you because you have come, we ask you, Spirit, now to come and to work. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <laughs> and you may be seated. <laughs> All right. We're going to start with this first heading, He Loves Us, Why? He loves us, why? And to answer that, we have to really start with the negative. In other words, God does not love us because of our character. God does not love us because of our character. He doesn't love us because of how good we are. He doesn't love us because of how wonderful we are. He doesn't love us because we are so gifted and so skilled and so wonderful. Now think about this. And I just apologize in advance for my voice, okay? Just think about this. Amy says this is the voice that it hurts to listen to you when you preach, okay? And I apologize for that. The world looks to place its love on certain people or certain things that it values, right? Those people possess certain characteristics or certain talents or certain benefits that make them worthy of love, right? So maybe it's looks, maybe it's giftedness, maybe it's humor, maybe it's earning potential, maybe it's their personality. Now hear me say this. It's not wrong to love someone who is beautiful and who is really gifted. That's who I married, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, when it comes to the world, it's a self-centered love. I love you because I can get something out of this. I love you for what it does for me. That's not the love that the Apostle John is talking about here. That's not the love that uh, Jesus speaks of on earth, right? It's not the agape love that is a selfless, sacrificial love that is for others, for the benefit of others. Now, when we look at ourselves, honestly, what we see is brokenness. What we see is impurity. We see failure. We see deceitfulness. When we look at ourselves, we don't see all these wonderful qualities that would cause God to want to love us. In fact, God's, words tells us, God's word tells us that even our goodness does not measure up. In Isaiah, the prophet says that even our righteousness is as a filthy rag. Even our goodness, even the things that we might lay hold of to hold up and say, look at this. To God is as a filthy rag. It is stained with sin. 
So the fact that God loves us has really nothing to do with how wonderful we are. And frankly, you think about this, in our world it's much easier to love someone who will love us back. Right? It's much easier to love someone who loves us back. But that's not even the way it is with God. God loved us when we were his enemies. Verse 10 is very clear. He loved us first. The reason that we love him is because he first loved us. And he loved us when we hated him, when we hated the light, when we were in rebellion against him. Verse 19 makes it very clear. We love because God first loved us. Now, here's the fact. God loves us because of who he is, because of his character. God loves us because of who he is, because of his character. In 1 John chapter 4, 8, we read that God is love. Love is who God is. We can't know God unless we know that he is love. And we can't know true love unless we know who God is. Now, it's easy to get this out of balance, friends. It's easy to get this idea, this, this truth that God is love out of balance. That God is love doesn't mean that God just glosses over our sin. That God is love doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter. Earlier in 1 John chapter 1, we read that God is light. In other words, God is holiness. God is perfection. So we have this in God. We have love and we have holiness. We have love and we have light. We read an Advent devotional earlier this month that implied that the flood of Genesis chapter 6 had more to do with God's compassion over the brokenness of humanity than it did his judgment on sin. As if his tears were flooding the earth. Well, friends, that's just wrong. God hates sin. And the fact that God is love doesn't mean that, that sin doesn't matter. It doesn't diminish the fact that God is a God of wrath as well. So hear this. Sin matters. We've seen this in our study of 1 John. Sin matters so much that it cost the Son of God his life. As he died for you and for me on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And this leads us to the second heading. He loves us. How? He loves us. How? Well, there are many ways that we could uh, state in answering this question. John here is focusing on two ways that God has loved us. First, he sent his son. And then secondly, we're going to see that he sent his Spirit. So first, God sent his son. Look again with me, if you will, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So John says, uh, God sent His Son. This implies that He existed already. He existed already. From eternity past, the triune God existed in perfect harmony. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Son takes on flesh. This is a reference to the incarnation. This is a reference to the season that we celebrate the advent of our Christ, the advent of God. 
and while God entered our time and space, when Jesus was born, the Son of God has always been co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. And that Jesus was the propitiation for our sins means that He was the sacrifice that satisfied the wrath of God on sin. When a crime is committed... For justice to be served, the guilty must be punished. But friends, in God's mercy, God himself pays for our crimes with his own life. In his mercy, in his love, in his grace, God himself pays for our crimes with his own life. And Jesus dies in our place. And the good news is that all who will put their trust in him... All who will follow Him will be saved. If we will believe that the only way to be made right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way to be reconciled to God is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. If we will put our hope on that, then we will be forgiven. Then God will count our sin against Christ and He will count Jesus' righteousness to us. This is our hope. And this is the only hope. So yes, God is a God of love and God is a God of wrath. And these truths intersect at the cross of Jesus Christ. And for those who will remain apart from faith in Jesus Christ, you will suffer eternally for your sin. But you don't have to. Because Jesus is calling you to repent of your sin and to put your hope in him. Think about this. God's love is astounding. Jesus' death was, was not some accident or not some unexpected event. His coming wasn't some good plan gone bad. The very reason that Jesus became a man, the, reason, the very reason that God sent the Son to become one of us was to accomplish the redemption of mankind. To bring about the forgiveness of sin. His death, Peter says in Acts chapter 2 verse 23, was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. In other words, God's love is intentional. It's thoughtful. And it's costly. A friend recently told me of how the leaves in his lawn were piling up, uh, becoming an eyesore, and the lawn company that he had been using or has been using had not come to collect them yet. For some reason, they missed a week. And his wife was noticing this and said something to him about it. And I'm telling you, my friend would say by his own admission that he completely missed the hint. So he's at work the next day, and lo and behold, the lawn company shows up, and they collect the things, and his wife calls him thinking, excuse me, <laughs> thinking that, uh, let me take a drink of water here. <laughs> Puberty was 30 years ago. <clears throat> thinking that uh, he was behind it. Now, a lesser man would have taken credit for it. He would have backed his way into those brownie points. But he just admitted, as much as I'd like to take credit for that, that wasn't me. Friends, Jesus did not back into our redemption. It was intentional. It was thoughtful. It was purposeful. He came 
to live and to die for us. This is the hope that we have. Our redemption in Christ is no accident. God is sovereign and he works in all through in and through all things, including the death of Jesus for his own sake. So we see that one way he loved us is by sending his son. But he also sent his spirit. He also sent his spirit. Look at verse 13, if you will. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Now, consider the magnitude of this fact that God abides in those who are in Christ. Verse 15 says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God abides in God and God in him. And how does this happen? Happens through the Holy Spirit. Now to confess that Jesus is the son of God is more than simply believing some facts about a man who lived 2000 years ago. To confess that Jesus is the Son of God is to believe who God says Jesus is. That He is the Messiah. That He is the Lord. That He is the one in whom there is salvation. There is forgiveness of sin. And only in Him. Right? Confessing Jesus means agreeing that He is who Scripture says He is. And if we recognize who He is, then we will live in light of who He is. But let's face it. American Christianity is a watered-down version. Multitudes upon multitudes of people profess to know God, but as Paul would write, by their deeds they deny Him. They prove otherwise. We're so deceived about what it means to be a Christian. So many people are equating salvation as some sort of an external transition. Like, I went to the, to the pharmacy the other day to get some drugs, and Everything's over the counter. I give you something, you give me something, and it's all external. But friends, that's not what salvation is. Yes, there's an external dimension. The Son of God came, and the Son of God lived, and the Son of God died, and then He rose again, and we put our hope in that. But it's internal, friends. It is an internal salvation. In Scripture, salvation is described in terms of union with Christ. Salvation is described in terms of union with Christ. And that through the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 34. Redemption is in Christ. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. We are alive to God in Christ. Romans 6, 23. Eternal life is in Christ. Romans 8, 1. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8, 29. Love of God is in Christ. Romans 12, verse 5, we are part of the body of Christ or in Christ. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, we are sanctified in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, the grace of God is in Christ. And friends, the list goes on. We could look in every, nearly every chapter of every book of the Bible in the New Testament and see it's in Christ. It's in Christ. Our salvation is in Christ. But we live among people who think they can be saved apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. We live among people who believe that they can be saved apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, in light of how John connects the concepts of connecting Christ, abiding in God, and the love of God in this section of Scripture that we read, I think it's safe to say that to confess 
Christ is to love Christ, is to love God. But friends, we live among people who think they can be saved apart from loving God. You have people in your family who think they can be saved apart from loving God. And worse yet, we have people who are deceived thinking that they are saved while they are loving their sin. We can't be saved apart from loving God. We can't be saved apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've already seen what Jesus and what John, what the New Testament mean by love. He's not talking about lip service, friends. Jesus said in John chapter 14, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. John writes, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So God sends His Spirit to His children to comfort and to guide, to empower and to encourage. And this isn't for all people, but for those who are in Jesus Christ. Which leads us to the next heading. God loves us. Who? God loves us. Who? Now, in many ways, we've already answered this question, but let's just extrapolate a little bit from what John is telling us here. In verses 10 and 11, John says that God loves us. So who is the us that John is referring to? Who is the us that John is referring to? Well, in a very general way, we can refer to all humanity. God's common grace and common love is for all people. Right. There are blessings available. There are blessings available for those who are apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Right. God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. God causes the sun to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. God holds back his wrath right now out of love. And let's be clear. God doesn't have to wait any longer. He could he could. And all things right now and send all sinners to hell right now if he wanted to. He is in charge. He is sovereign. He is the king. But he holds back his wrath right now out of love. So we don't experience it yet because of his love. But when we consider this passage in its entirety, there's something different about his love for those who love him. There's something different about the love of God for those who love him. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us, implies God's special grace and love for his elect. Verse 19 implies God's special grace and special love for his elect. We love only because he first loved us. Hear me say this. The lost don't love God. The lost don't love Jesus. And while the concept of election scares some of us, it's all over Scripture. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Look at the people of Israel. They were chosen of God. They were elect of God. And we look at the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter is writing to the elect. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. God chose you to be first fruits to be saved. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, God chose us before the foundation of the world. Luke writes in Acts chapter 13, verse 48, As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Jesus talks about the elect, saying that the false teachers would come and try to, um, to lead the elect astray. And that when He returns, His angels will come and gather all of His elect to Himself. So friends, God's special grace brings about faith and salvation. And it's only those who are saved through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ who abide in God and God in them. So when John writes us, he's specifically referring to God's children, to the church. He's specifically referring to the church. And I know what some of us are thinking in this room. How do I know if I'm one of the elect? Well, here's how you know. Do you believe the gospel? Have you responded in faith and repentance to Jesus Christ? The the offer is open, friends. Repent of your sin and put your hope in Jesus. That's how you know if you're of the elect. In Acts chapter 2, verse 21, and in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, both Peter and Paul declare that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me tell you, what keeps you from experiencing God's grace, from His experiencing salvation right now, is your own sinful unbelief, self-love, and rebellion against God. What keeps you from experiencing God's grace in forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life is your own unbelief. Your rebellion and your self-love. But if you will turn, if you will turn, if you will confess your sin to God, if you will put your hope in Jesus Christ, then friend, you will be saved. Now, before we finish, I want to ask one more question as a way to introduce just a few points of application this morning. He loves us. So what? He loves us. So what? Well, first, love God. Because of who He is, we owe our highest allegiance to Him. Because of who He is, we owe our highest allegiance to Him. Because of what He has done, we owe our highest devotion and love to Him. We love Him. Why? Because He first loved loved us. So live for Him. Seek Him. Follow Him. Obey Him. Second, so what? Love others. Love others. If we are Christians, then we are to abide in love. We are to love others. Look at verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Right? We have a moral responsibility to love others because of the way that God has loved us. And not only do we have a responsibility, we have the ability because we have been born of God. And we are now like God in the sense that we take after him and he's given us his spirit to enable us in this. So we love by serving and sacrificing and giving and providing. Look at verse 12 with me. No one has ever seen God. 
If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us, right? We don't see God in all his glory, but others can see Jesus in us when we love. We manifest the love of God and how we love one another. Look at verse 14 with me. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Friends, we're called to testify to this great love. We're called to speak of it, that God sent Jesus Christ to die for us. We're called to testify. Let me ask you, who is it that you are praying for and sharing the gospel with? I mean, for John, it's just like a second nature. We're just going to do it. If we've experienced love of God, then we will testify to the Son. We'll testify to the greatest gift ever given. And frankly, to the only gift that's been given that actually matters. The gift of Jesus Christ. Who do you know that is apart from Christ? And if they died today, they would spend eternity in hell. Who do you know? Who do you know that's apart from Christ? And if they died today, they would spend eternity in hell. Will you love them with the gospel? Will you love them with the gospel? All your friends at the school, all your kids' parents' friends, all your friends at the, at the retirement home, you just enjoy spending time with them and you, know, you don't want to make things awkward because if you really start talking about religion and that's going to change things. Listen, if they die today apart from faith in Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity in hell. Will you love them with the gospel? Will you love them with the gospel? And we have opportunity to support the proclamation of the gospel. That's what this March for Missions is all about, friends. To support missionaries, Southern Baptist missionaries, going all across the world, the state, the nation, and the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray that you will give. I pray that you did give and that you will give. And you'll do so sacrificially and generously. Third and lastly, don't fear. Don't fear. Look at verses 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Therefore, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Friends, all those who have experienced God's grace in the love of God who are in Christ have no reason to fear, but every reason for hope and confidence at the day of judgment, right? Why? Because God has fully accepted us in Jesus Christ. There is no more punishment. There is no more condemnation for those who have been made right in Christ. Why? Because Jesus bore the wrath of God on our behalf. And we now are secure in him. So we praise God. We rejoice. We worship him because of his great love. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And if you are unsure as to whether you are in Christ, if you are unsure as to whether you are um, a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are right with God, then friend, come and talk to us. 
If you want to know more about the gospel of grace and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, then come and talk to us. If you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus, then come and talk to us. Now, some of you are believers and you're ready to be baptized because you have you have put your hope and your trust in him. And you want to share with the church today that you are following him and you want to get a baptismal schedule. We'll come and, and let us rejoice with you. And some of us in here just need to repent. We need to repent because we've been living with self-centered desires. We haven't been living in love. Only a love for ourselves. Take this time and confess sin. And repent. And pray for grace to follow Jesus more closely. And to seek after him more passionately. Maybe some of you are ready to join this church. You've been through the process and you want to come and say that you want to become part of this family. If that's you, then we encourage you to come. But we believe that God is at work, friends. We're praying that you will submit to what he's doing in your life and in your family's life. Will you pray with me? Great God in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your kindness in giving us your word for making known your will, for crushing the Son on our behalf that we might be made free and that we might know love and live for you. God, in these moments, I pray that your Spirit will work through us and in us. I pray that we would not walk away unchanged, pray that we would not leave with questions unanswered, but that we would seek after you with all that we are. May this be for your glory. May this be for the building of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, sing, and respond as the Spirit leads?